said to the hero in the middle of their epic battle, somewhere near the end of the movie, there's only one way this ends. Either you die or I die. You ever notice how, like, oftentimes in the epic battles, there's some conversation, sometimes the bad guy is monologuing, you know, just talking and explaining things. Uh, but in this case, you know, that happens, right, all the time. But in this case, what, what struck me was actually what the bad guy had said. I, I, I thought, did he just say there's only one way and then say either this or that, that that's, like, that's like one way with like two options. That's not really like one way, is it? There's only one way this ends. Either you die, or I do, or she does, or he does. Like, it's like, that's, like, that's not one way. I think probably the writer, you know, and this got missed somehow. How many people watched that, you know, in editing and stuff and, and missed that? But it, it probably was like the writer was thinking, you know, this is only going to turn out with one of us dying. There's only one outcome. Somebody's dying, right? Me or you. But it came out kind of muddy. It came out kind of silly. Not clear at all. And as I was reflecting on that this week, looking at our passage, we're in Psalm 1, kicking off a summer in the Psalms. We're going to hit several Psalms, Lord willing, over this summer. But we're starting with Psalm 1. And as I was thinking about Psalm 1 and that scene in that movie came, and I thought, you know what, a lot of times our, our thinking is not real clear. And when we're thinking about options and choices, even as it kind of comes out of us sometimes, it, it, it's muddy. And here is Psalm 1, and it gives us some choices. And like all the Bible readings, all the biblical writings on wisdom, of which Psalm 1 is, is one, all of those biblical writings on wisdom, they make you think about real life. And they encourage you to make decisions about who you want to be, the choices that you will make. And that's timely, I think, for us to be looking at the psalm because we live in a culture that values choice very highly. We live in a world all around us, even much less here in the United States, but all over, that highly values options, that does not like absolutes, that doesn't like one way so much that two ways slip into something that's supposed to be one way, even in an epic battle sequence. Well, as we come to Psalm 1, there, there's a better way. There is a way that is wiser, healthier, more hopeful. Read with me here Psalm 1 and gain, I hope, I pray, some clarity about choices and about who we want to be. Psalm 1. It will be up on the screen or you can follow along in your Bibles as we read from the New American Standard Version. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom. And you told us in James that if we ask for that, you will give it. So we do, Lord. We come to you because you are the source of wisdom. And you have spoken in your word, and we believe that. 
And we pray that you would help us to make better choices, to have a better life, and even to understand what that means. We pray, trusting you will give us some progress in that because we come in the name of Jesus, trusting your spirit to work. In Jesus' name, amen. So for all of of our uh, obsession, perhaps, delight in, focus upon having options and valuing choices, do you know what happens when you have more options? I was watching a, a, a TED Talk that was made almost 20 years ago, and I... I was, I was really surprised, but it made a lot of sense of what the guy said, that in fact, you would think that having more options, right, would bring a greater sense of, of freedom, a, a greater sense of happiness, right? But what his research found was that paradoxically, having more options leads to paralysis, and dissatisfaction. And I think, if you look at what's happened in the 20 years since this guy did this talk, if you look at the trends that are happening all around us, you can see that, right? As the number of choices that we have just for, like, soft drinks, right? Wawa has to add, like, a refrigerator every year, it seems, right? Like, sooner or later, they're going to only have a tiny front door because you'll need, like, all of the walls will be full of soda. But now they've got the wonderful, um, that multi-selection Coke machine, you know. Oh, that thing's wonderful, man. Almost up there with cobbler, not quite. I like a vanilla Coke once in a while. But anyway, so where was I? Um, You know, there's so many options, not just soda, soft drinks, right? But even, even your gender identity, right? You could, used to be just male or female, and now you could be, you're at, we're adding letters every couple of months. I'm not trying to dis, I'm not making a statement one way or the other about that, but just think about it. The options. Can you imagine older people? Growing up as a teenager today, having all of those options. You know, we didn't have that problem. It never occurred to me that I would have to choose my gender identity. That, 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 that I would have to choose from billions of soda options. If you just think about the things that are going on, the anxiety among young people and even adults, if you think about the rising rates of depression, if you think about FOMO, fear of missing out and regret, and you think about the fact that we have so many options for anything, you put it all together and it says, you know what, if there's so many options, how do you know which one's right? You can never be satisfied because if you get, the the example uh, someone used was, if you just go buy a pair of jeans, right? It used to be, when, when I was a kid, it's like there were two sizes. There was Husky, which I got because I needed it. And then there was like regular. And maybe there was Wrangler and Levi's and Sears. We got Sears. Anybody remember Sears? Yeah. <laughs> Sears Husky, branded right across my backside there. In case you were wondering how big I was. Options. You, you, so now you have how many options for jeans? How, how much for just sweats? You know? And if you find one that's not quite right, you, you know there was a better option out there, right? So maybe you buy it and you try another one, right? But you're always going to know there was another option. And maybe that one would have been it, because this one just kind of falls short. And as you look at all of those options, as you think about all of the choices in all of those areas, you're living with a tremendous amount of pressure. Because you know, 
And what you wrestle with in your heart, most likely, whether you verbalize this or are aware of it or not, is that if there are that many options available, if I don't find the right one, the only person to blame is me. So you lead this life of regret, of guilt, of depression, of anxiety, and you, you put all that in with all these options out there and you don't know which one to choose and then you go on the social media and you see other people that sure look like they've made all the right choices and things are really going well with them. And that compounds the problem. And so, with all the options, with all the choices, not just in products and services, but gender and work and play and relationships and morals. What do you do? Well, thankfully, there is some hope. Thankfully, we have help, not just from Psalm 1, but all of the scriptures that especially the category of writings called wisdom literature, which Psalm 1 is one of them, Psalm 112, all the book of Proverbs, uh, Job typically falls in there, Ecclesiastes, these, these are wisdom things. There's sections here and there that speak to it. They, they were written for situations like we face. They were written for regular people like you and I to think about life and to figure out how we make good choices. And not just good choices, but better choices. How do we face the situations that we're in and make decisions? And how do we make the decisions that lead not, not only to some movement and progress, but actually to a better life? In other words, you know, there, there's a better way. The Scriptures tell us this. There's a better way than paralysis and dissatisfaction. There's a way of progress and peace. But I will tell you, it's not easy. It's going to require some work, some thought, some effort, some growing awareness. It's going to require you to pay attention to what's going on in your life. But I will tell you this, it is worth it. If you want to make choices at all, much less choices that lead to a better life for you, for your spouse, for your family, for your neighborhood, for your community, for, for your country, for your world. Psalm 1 here invites you onto a new path that is better than the others. Along the way and at the end. And that's basically how we're going to look at this passage. That Psalm 1 inviting us onto a new path that is better along the way and at the end. And there are two paths here, even though it's only two paths. I don't think we understand either one of them really well. The two ways are here, and they're about what's better for you. The word is blessed. What does that mean? You know, hashtag blessed, right? I got this or that, or this happened or that. Hashtag blessed, right? What does that mean? I think we've lost a lot of the meaning. And the way I try to recapture the meaning for that is by using the word better. When you read blessed in the Bible, one of the things you can think of is better. Especially if you think about the fact that the opposite of blessed is cursed. And cursed doesn't make something worse. Blessed is to be better. It has tinges of, of happiness and goodness and those kind of things. But to just... To get some kind of meaning instead of a vague and empty term, overused term like blessed, think of, think of something like that, like better. Psalm 1 is all about finding what is better. And there's a tinge of it that's self-serving. And that's okay. God wants your life to be better. And it's not a comparison with other people. It's from where you are right now. God wants your life to be better than what it was yesterday, than what it was in the past. He wants your life to be better. God not only wants your life to be better, but 
He wants your marriages to be better. He wants your parenting to be better. He wants your neighborhood to be better, your relationships with friends, your workplace, your school, your church, your community, your world. God wants those things to be blessed. He wants them to be better. And if you're willing to do some work with me here in this passage, if you're willing to dig in a little bit as we unpack this, then then come along for the ride. Because it is good. It's better than good even. And so we're going to look at the the ways, first of all. Look at the the way you choose. It's kind of a double meaning on this. The, The first point is the way you choose. You consider these two ways that are in our passage. If you look at verse 1, the first is the way the psalm says to avoid. Verse 1, how blessed, how better is the man, or for the man, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And I read it a little strangely like that to point out there's basically three lines, three key words in those three lines. And they're, they're parallel and, and, and similar. The first uh, three key words, walk, stand, and sit. They, they show like a, a progression of, of movement to not moving, right? You're walking, you're standing, you're sitting. There's a slowing down, perhaps. The third word, wicked sinners, scoffers, are, are different. They have different flavors of meaning, but in the psalm here, they're essentially uh, synonyms for the not godly way. If you look at the way those words show up in the rest of the psalm, you can see they're, they're interchanged with the same words, you know, path and way goes with sinners and, and, and wicked goes with this. Um, so they're essentially synonyms. So there's not a lot of difference there. But then if you look at the middle word in each line, counsel, path, and seat, and you put that together with the first word, you kind of really see the stress is falling on that second set of words. You know, the word for counsel here is, is about advice. Blessed, better, is the one who doesn't walk in the advice of those who don't know God, of those who resist God. You know, the, 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 the idea there is, who are you listening to? Who has your ear? The second word, path, when you combine it with, you know, don't stand in the path of sinners. It's also translated as way more, more often. It literally could be a road, you know, the, this road that you would walk along. But very, very, very often in the Old Testament, it's, it's about, it's a metaphor for, for life. You know, blessed is the man who does not stand in the lifestyle, in the way, along with the crowd of those who don't know God. And so the sense is, you know, what are you doing? What are your actions? How, what are your habits? What's your lifestyle? We read Isaiah 55 a little while ago, and one of the verses you might have noticed said, calls the wicked to forsake his way. That doesn't just mean one particular thing. It's the whole pattern. Turn away from that way and turn on to this way. Scriptures speak of raising up children in the way they should go. And there's various blessings that accompany that. So you have those two. You have advice, and then you have actions. And the third one is the word seat, where it says, kind of like in English, do not sit in the seat is is the same word. Uh, One is a noun and one is a verb. So you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. To, to sit in the seat in the context here seems to be to just kind of abide there. The, that word for sitting is also used to dwell, to remain, to abide. Uh, you know, the, the, the sense and context here seems to be that, that you, you are there. You are with those hanging out. You're a part of them. You're, you're not just on the fringes 
looking and observing. You're, you're welcomed in and abiding with. You, you remain with those who do not know God. And the question that gets at attitude, as you hang out with that crowd, it shapes your heart, your desires, your attitude, your orientation to, to life. You know, advice does that too, right? It's, it's pointing and saying, go this way. And, and your, ha- your lifestyle and your habits do that too. The whole thing is oriented at your orientation. Like, what are you thinking about with life? Who has your heart, your mind, your ears? What's shaping your heart? And very often, and I've summarized this under the, the, the heading of basically going along. This is what we do. This is the first part where the work comes in, right? Because if you don't pay attention, if you don't take a, a moment to reflect upon your actions or consider what's coming in the future, you will just go along. Maybe you'll go along with whatever you learned from your parents. Maybe you'll go along with the opposite of that because it annoyed you. Maybe you'll go along with your friends. Maybe you'll go along with whatever the media is that you're consuming. Maybe you'll go along with whoever the influences are that you are following. You will go along. And God is calling us to say, think about more than that. A a, a kind of minor example from my own life, my own experience with this, was purchasing my first new car. I had been in my first real job for months. Okay, maybe weeks, I don't remember. But like, and I thought, oh, I need a new car. Now I got money, right? Now I was was actually for like a young 20-something young man. And for me, actually before I knew the Lord, I was actually thinking kind of economically and practically. I was thinking, I should get like a truck, you know? That would be cool, you know, I could help people move and I could put stuff in it and it would be really useful, right? And I don't really care about impressing people and that kind of thing, you know, that's, that just seems like what I'd want. So I go to the dealership. <laughs> yeah, baby. I, I didn't just drive out of that parking lot, I flew out of that parking lot in a turbocharged little two-door sports car with a 12-disc CD changer. 12, that's more than 10. Turbo charged. Low profile tires, aluminum rims, which if you hit a pothole on the interstate in New Jersey during a snowstorm, they just crumble and crush, and there's really nothing you can do, hypothetically speaking, except sit there on the side of the road until somebody comes along and maybe helps you change a tire. Hypothetically speaking. But so I walked out of there, I flew out of there, I drove out of there, boom, not only with that car, but with a massive loan payment. Not only with a massive loan payment, but with a car insurance payment more than the massive loan payment. Because I was 22, 23, something like that, and they're like, yeah, this is just not going to go well. The insurance company knows, right? They're like, well, I know what you're going to do. Oh, and and I I didn't see it, but I picture in my mind now, looking back, as I flew out of the parking lot, the pretty young saleswoman just smiling and going, ching, 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 counting her bills for her commission as I drove out, flew out of that parking lot, and I was single. But the, what, what, you know, I didn't consciously make that choice. I actually went there consciously thinking of something that, that made a lot of sense. And then years later, I actually got a truck and, and enjoyed it. And it was a piece of junk, but it was good. That was all I needed. I didn't need this. So why did I choose those things? I kind of fell into the trap of going along, of facing the pressure and not considering where I was going. That, that pretty young lady had my ear and appealed to desires for speed and fun and getting you know, the girl's attention and being cool and having the function of all of those CDs, like 12 CDs. I mean, can you imagine? That's like 12 hours of music just there. 
I know, I iPods, right? You know, iPhone, you get device. You get like hours and hours and hours, infinite, infinite amount of time. This was a while ago. So the question is, who has your heart? You know, are you prepared to go into a situation where you, you, you have to make a decision? Maybe it's, you know, choosing a car. Maybe it's buying a house. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship, a spouse. Maybe it's whatever. What's got your ear? What's got your heart? Who are you listening to? What are the factors in? Are you just going to go along with the crowd, with other people? Are you muddied or muddled in... Are you not clear in the decision you're even trying to make? You know, clarify those things. Get, get some perspective. Ask for some input from wise people. The irony here is that that's kind of a... Uh, the going along thing is, is, a, is a weaker, easier path. And the second option on, on the path is, is the path of going strong. Instead of going along, going strong... And it's characterized by the world very often as the weak option. You see it in verse 2, where he says, His delight, this is the one who's better for us, not who does this with the wicked, but the one whose delight, verse 2 says, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Notice what he says at the very beginning. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight... His pleasure is in the law of the Lord. His, his, he's attracted to the law of the Lord because it's desirable to him. There's, there's, an, there's an emotion word about what? The law of the Lord? This is the one who it goes better with, right? Whether you're there or not, this is what it's saying. That's who it goes better with. But I mean, is it really saying? You know, memorize and do the commands of the Lord. Make sure you do your duty. It says meditate. Not memorizing, which is less complicated and more complicated than memorizing. The, the, the idea is rooted actually in, 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 in like a low-grade muttering or murmuring or kind of uh, the, the noise, like a um, was it a, a dove? You know, just this kind of you could meditating has to do with just you're, you're rehearsing something. There's 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 something churning in you, and, and and the idea is what's churning in you is what delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law he meditates day and night. That the that the law of the Lord is is turning in you. You're just kind of flipping it over, turning it over, looking at it this way and that way. You know, and that doesn't mean that it's like the whole Bible at once, right? This could literally be just a verse. And here's an easy, easy application. Take these first two verses of Psalm 1. You could memorize them. They're really easy. Because the parallelism in that first verse, you know, blessed is the one who does not, you know, he's doing it. walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. You can memorize that. Turn on it. Meditate on it this week. But don't just kind of have it floating around in your mind, right? Have it taking root in your heart. Think about what does that mean for me this week? What would it look like? How am I walking in the council of those who don't know God. Yeah. How much TV or social media or radio am I listening to that does not point me to a deeper love of God and His ways? How much time, on the flip side, am I spending with God's law, with it meditating? And, and don't hear me saying, you got to read your Bible for like hours and hours and hours every day, right? Just this week, even, see what happens if you take Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, and seriously just contemplate them for a few minutes, no more than 10 minutes every morning. See what happens. Maybe you pull it out again at lunchtime or in the middle of the day when your shift is in the midway point or you're coming home, whatever time that is, right? Just pull it out. I mean, that would literally fit on one screen of your phone. 
you know, stick a screenshot, make it your lock screen or something, right? And contemplate that, meditate on it, and you'll find something interesting happening. The law of the Lord, and by the way, that word law is the Hebrew word Torah, which is the common word for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? The first five books, also called the Pentateuch, five, um, five tukes. <laughs> I don't remember what tuke means. Penta, five, tuke, tukes. I don't know. So the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's called a Torah in the Jewish community, historically, right? That, that, that's called the law. Have you read those books? Are you familiar with those books? Like the, the Ten Commandments are in there twice, right? And there's a, a lot of sacrificial laws in Leviticus. <clears throat> there's also a lot else in there. There's commands, yes, but the law, that word means more than commands and statutes. In fact, there's other words in the Hebrew for statutes and ordinances and commands. So what, what is the law then? The law refers to those things and more. It, 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 it's from a word, I think I've mentioned this before, but it's been a while. It's from a word actually that had to do with, with throwing. It, it, you can see where it would then become like a directional thing. That's, that's the sense of law. It's another one of those words that we just have a meaning for and, and maybe lose it or have a bad meaning for. You know, the sense of law is directional. It is guidance and orientation and direction. Yes, there's commands, but there's a lot more than that. It's, it's something that if you will meditate on it, you will find it just kind of growing within you in what it means. I think I shared with you before that one of our assignments in seminary was, was to read big chunks of Scripture, right? And we had to read Psalm 119 like in, in, in one day before the next class or something like that. And I remember sitting down and I'm like, all right, Psalm 119, this is really long. And you get through the first couple of stanzas of it, and it's like, oh, it's just law, 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 law. Yeah, I know, it's good, right, law, law. But as I kept reading it and kept reading it and kept reading it, I began to think, hey, you know, I think the law might actually be good. It, it shaped me, just even in my resistance and even as I looked at it as an assignment, it began to shape my heart. Change my, that's the power of this word. It's not merely something in your own effort that you try to stick in your head and then in your own effort trying to figure out how this applies. It's something you meditate on and with the Holy Spirit's assistance, it comes to life and bears fruit in your life. You know, I was, um, I was working on a miserable project Years after buying that sports car, I think I was driving a, a truck at that point, got a do-over, got another real job, and got a truck. And one of the projects I was working on was miserable. We had, we had to work in a very dark room, and it was very noisy with air handlers and equipment and stuff, and I think I've mentioned this before. We were in the dark, we were, we were looking at projector screens and trying to break a computer system, basically, uh, that, so that we'd make sure it would, it would work in a real environment. We just had long, long lists of things we had to figure out, and it just never seemed like it would end, and we were just long days, and we were all kind of miserable, and we were eating by, by the, I don't know, handful, mega sour candy. You ever have a mega sour? Warhead? A warhead? Like a little thing? It's like bitter. You, you put it in your mouth, you're like, and your face just sucks up, shrivels up. We were like downing them like nothing. It just was like where we were. We were just like that bitter. That bitter candy was like, ooh, this it's hits me right where I am. So in that scenario, two things happened. One, one of my coworkers just started talking about them and how they don't know what they're doing and how her friends over there at that company, they don't have to work like this and they get paid more. And these people, these consultants we have, they don't know what they're talking about. And they and they and this and that. I, I began listening to her and more and more. And here's the other thing that was happening, right? I'm like, I'm going to memorize scripture. I'll start with Psalm 1. 
So I'm memorizing Psalm 1 while this person is filling my ear with them. Right? This is coming in. This is coming in. But I'm literally just memorizing it. I'm like trying to do it like a school assignment. And then one day, my supervisor pulls me aside and he says, Mike, what's, what's going on? Like what? What do you mean? You seem really bitter. You are dragging the team down. I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? And he gave me examples. Sarcasm and little comments, shortness in my, you know, just irritability. And I... I reflected on that, and I realized he was absolutely right. And I realized it was that influence coming at me. And in a way, I wasn't taking to heart and meditating on that scripture. It wasn't returning void, though, because I didn't respond defensively to what he said. I was open to it, and I think that's because I'm like consciously imbibing the word, even as the other stuff is coming. And God interrupted me in that by his grace. And I want to I ask some of you to consider that. Maybe God right now is interrupting you. you know, maybe you need to hear, hey, what is going on? Your attitude is dragging down the team, whatever it is. And maybe you're right now working on something in Scripture that's like, oh, wow. Listen to that. This is part of the hard work of reflecting on it. What, what are those things that have my influence? How is that working out in my life? Am, am I, what are, what are my words? You know, what, what, what advice am I taking? What are the actions? What's my lifestyle and pattern like? I profess to be a Christian, and, and are my actions, is my attitude, are my advisors any different than the rest of the world? Am I going along with them or am I going to go strong? Because here's the thing, in that way that you choose, those are your two options. And what's going to happen is they will impact the journey you experience. The way that you choose impacts the journey you experience. It's our second point. It's way shorter in case you're concerned. Look at, look at what he says here in verse 3. You know, the one who does not is in a better place. And the one who delights in the Lord, in the law of the Lord, meditates day and night, better for him. Verse 3, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. Do you want that? Do you want that, that, that flourish? Do you want as Jeremiah puts it in a very similar passage in Jeremiah 17. Do, do you want to be like a bush in the desert and not seeing when prosperity comes? Or do you want to trust in the Lord and be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes? Its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. I want to flourish. I don't know about you. I, I want to know that when the heat comes, I'm still going to bear fruit. I, I want to know that what I do matters. 
that I can make a difference, that, that it will be better for my wife, for my kids, for my neighborhood, for this church. That there will be flourishing. And the biggest barrier that I can control, the biggest problem in all of that is me. Likewise, you. And the biggest thing in all of that is the attitude. And so it might have come up for you already as you think about the law of the Lord. What are you hearing when you hear that? You think of commands and drudgery and, and, and just ruining all of my fun and taking away all of my options for freedom. Remember what you're going to get there, right? There is a healthy limitation that God gives us, invites us to, and asks us to trust Him in. That He would say, these are the bounds that I have made for you. I know you. I made you. And this is the way I made it. That, that you would live in these parameters. And you have so much freedom, so much latitude, like my kids. You know, we didn't have a, a fence in our house, but we had like two acres in our first house in Tennessee. They never went outside. They didn't like it. Right? There were woods and scary things and all that kind of stuff. Right? But then we moved into the city, which was like 6,000 people, and we had a fence. And even though there was like a Rottweiler on the other side of the fence, even though there was this rabid dog that would bark happily and then chase you, they were safe in the bounds of the fence. They were free to do whatever they want. They could play here, play there. They could study. They could work. Whatever they wanted within the bounds. That's the way the law of the Lord comes to us as these healthy boundaries, as these limits for us, what is best for us. And the alternative is not freedom and joy, but worthlessness. Debilitating anxiety. Death. Look at verse 4. Blessed is better for the one who delights in the law. Verse 4 says what? The wicked are not so. Those who, those who don't know God, don't want God, don't follow God, they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Chaff is the, is the part that after you've, you've taken your wagon wheels and run over all the weed and stuff, you know, you've separated the grain, the chaff is everything else, right? So you throw the, the stuff in the air and the grain is heavier and it will fall to the ground, but the chaff is blown by the wind and just disappears. It's the stuff you don't want to eat. You don't want it in your life. It amounts to nothing, right? The weed is the good substance. The, the, the wicked, those who don't follow God, those who don't trust his ways, don't accept his boundaries, don't see that his ways will give them prosperity, they are like chaff and they just blow away. It doesn't last. The way that is not God's way leads to nothing. Not everything. The way that is not God's way amounts to nothing. Builds nothing. And leads away from life. I mentioned buying my first car, right? I think I said it was kind of a minor example, but uh, actually, it wasn't really minor. I had the, the huge debt, massive loan payments, car insurance payment, right? And I almost died. Because I had a sports car, and as the insurance companies know, you're 20-something young man. I not only flew out of that parking lot, but I was working in South Jersey, driving on the back roads where it's all farmland, a little bit of twists and turns, driving in odd hours of the day so there's nobody around. I'm flying down those back roads well over whatever the speed limit was, and this dog runs out into the road barking at me. I don't know, Paw Patrol or something, like, <laughs> slow down, buddy. I, I didn't see him until I crested the hill, and he was there, maybe from where I am to that back wall. And I'm going more than 55. 
I swerved to the left into oncoming traffic. Nobody was there, thankfully. Swerved to the right. There goes the dog. I missed him. Correct back to the middle. And then I don't know what happened, but I was spinning, and I don't know how many times. And I came to a stop on the side of the road opposite from the direction I was going, so I again went across traffic going the wrong direction and wound up on that shoulder. Everything in my car was in a different place from where it was. Of course, I had a radar detector, so I could be doing those things and not get caught, right? And it was like over, I don't even know where, all the change, all the CDs for my CD player that weren't in there were all over. Everything was all over in my car, all over the place. And so was my heart and my mind. Some of my organs, I think, were in a different place. And I was in between two telephone poles. One was here, one was here. Maybe 10, 12, 15 feet either side of me. I don't know. And the dog's still over there barking. And the woman's like, thank you, you missed my dog. Are you OK? And I'm like, <laughs> I just like put it in gear and was gone. It had a stick shift, of course, right? I mean, you know. You know, when you think about the limits God has put on us, right? And just that example, someone who is sane and wiser than me would have said, Mike, if you take that car, your loan payments are going to be crazy expensive and then your car insurance payments are going to be like and you know if you're a debtor you're a slave to the lender you know that's the, the, you know, that's not a good way to live um, you know you should obey the speed limit it's there for your good and all those kind of things you know all true but they they missed the bigger deeper point that I was not at that point in my life willing to accept which is that God actually wants better for me than I want for myself. And when He comes and He says something that sounds limiting to me, it is for the life of me. And I literally almost experienced the death of me by going my own way. And there's nothing wrong with having a sports car and enjoying it and all of that kind of thing. But what I want you to take away from this passage is this reality that your choices make a difference in how you experience life. And if you are willing to frame those choices within the, within the bounds of what God has decided, if you, will go, if you will trust Him on His path and enter into it to meditate on His Word, it, your journey along the way will be better. It won't be perfect. It'll be hard. There's no promise that there won't be suffering. But it will be better. And in the end, the destination that you reach will be so much better. Look at verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is talking about the destination that awaits every one of us where God will look at our lives, we'll look at what we did with them, and we'll say, if, if you were not on my path, you will not stay with me forever. If you were not with my people in your life, you are not going to be with my people in death. If you wanted no part of me while you had an opportunity to choose me, you will have no part of me now that the end has been reached. You've reached your final destination. And the interesting thing is that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Do you know the way of the righteous? Because there is only one way. And isn't it interesting that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
that the hope that we have, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've wasted your life, no matter if you were to put your life in the air right now and every single part of it blew away like chaff, it doesn't matter if right now you will choose Jesus as the way. It can make a difference in your life from this moment forward. It can cover all of those past sins and give you hope for the future. It is the only way that you will stand because there is none righteous. And unless we are in Jesus who came and lived that perfect way, right? Who lived only and always for God, never departed from God's path, never wandered away even for a moment, that that way can be yours. Trusting in Jesus who is the way. Whose death on that cross can lead you through to that destination. Because He has prepared a place for you and I. A place that is even better than what we have right now. And if, if we will look to Him, if we will turn to Him, if we will meditate, what does that mean in all of His glory? Keep thinking about Jesus and His death for us, His resurrection power, and the Spirit's presence within us. As we look at the Scriptures, we have this hope that you know it can be different. It can be better. I can have some wisdom. I, I will listen to others and take in inputs and I can make decisions and I can have peace. Because in it all, if I'm within the bounds that God has provided, I am free. If I want to have that flavor of soda or that flavor of soda, I can do it. And I can have peace. And you're not going to find that peace otherwise. If you're trying to make up the standards yourself, if you're trying to figure out all those options yourself, you will be depressed. You will be anxious. You will be paralyzed. You will be dissatisfied. But if you will turn to the Word of the Lord and ask Him this week, Lord, will you show me? And maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with, with something you don't even want to admit. Maybe you're struggling with gender issues. Maybe you're struggling with addictions. Maybe you're struggling with how to parent better. Maybe you're struggling with your workplace. If you will come to God's Word, even just this week, just take those first two verses of Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Meditate on this. Put them on a card. You don't have to memorize them. Even just put them on a card. Pull them out. Look at them. Put them on that lock screen of your phone. Take a screenshot. Meditate on them. Say, Lord, this week, Give me a better attention to what I'm listening to, what has my ear, what, what's guiding my actions. Lord, give me a better perspective on my attitude and things. Lord, interrupt me. Lord, be willing to come and interrupt me in the midst of those things and make me teachable. Lord, guide me on your path. Lead me in your ways. I want to reach that destination you have for me. I want the journey right now even to be better. And it will be. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you as we look at your word that you give wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us this week as we meditate on it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.